Aren't these flowers beautiful? It always amazes me at the beautiful bright colors that God loves, obviously. And the pot's not too bad either. Our son David made this in high school. And actually, we have another one that's twice as large. We brought them all the way from Australia with us. And my story today is about pots and flowers. A water bearer in India had two large pots, each hung on either end of a pole, which he then carried over the, the back of his shoulders. Every day he would take the long walk down to the river to collect water for his master's house. One of the pots had a crack in it and arrived at the home half empty. The other pot was seemingly perfect and always delivered a full portion of water. This went on day after day for two whole years. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, while the poor cracked pot felt ashamed of its imperfections. After two years of, it, of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, it spoke to the water bearer one day down by the river. I am so ashamed of myself. Why? asked the water bearer. Because by the time we get back to the master's house, half of my water has leaked out through the crack in my side. The water bearer felt sorry for the cracked pot and with compassion said, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers growing beside the path. When they arrived at the house, the bearer asked the pot, did you notice that there were only flowers on your side? That's because I have always known about your floor and I used it for good. I planted flowers on your side, seeds on your side of the path, and every day you watered them. For two years, I have been able to pick beautiful flowers for the master's table. And so you see, you have brought much delight and pleasure to the master's household. This story tells us a few good lessons. For instance, we're all like the cracked pot. Now please don't go asking your friends, are they cracked pots? They may not appreciate it. But I think you'd agree, none of us are perfect. Even the seemingly flawless pot was not perfect. He didn't have the gift of growing beautiful flowers. And this is a very important lesson to learn. We don't all have the same gifts and talents. This is why it's a waste of time and energy to compare ourselves with others. What happens when we fall into this trap? We think someone else is better looking or has a better personality and more friends. They seemingly have more gifts and talents than we have. We can be so busy focusing on what others have and on what we don't have, we miss out on God's plan and blessing for our own lives. God tells us in Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
our main responsibility is to thank God for the gifts and the talents he's given to us and to use them to bless others. Another lesson is to grow and flourish where we are. If we wait for the perfect time and the perfect situation, we might be waiting for a long, long time and be old and gray. The ultimate lesson, of course, is this. We all can do something, especially when we give our lives to God, for he is the master water bearer, and in his hands, our lives can produce joy and beauty for the king's household. The topic today is, it's not always what it seems to be. I want you to meet this uh, lady who's come along to our church. Don't you think she looks nice? Got lovely hair and she's got nice gloves and got a nice bag and nice shoes and a nice dress. And I wonder what we ought to call her. I can tell you folks one thing. There may be some folks talking in church today, but she won't be. Because she's a, what do you call these things? She's a mannequin. She's a mannequin, and she looks great. She's got nice hair, and she's got, from a distance, in, in fact, she looks like some of you. <laughs> now, from a distance, she... She looks real, and she looks alive, and she looks attractive. She wouldn't make a real good wife, would she, man? You know why? She can't cook. <laughs> but there's one thing she couldn't answer you back, could she? You know, but she's, she looks the part. And from a distance, you would say, she's a very attractive woman. But you know, things are not always what they appear to be. Even though she looks the part, she is as dead as dead can be. She's quite oblivious to what is going on over here in, these, in this meeting. Now... This seems to be a little different because, well, it is different. I've got a table here which is groaning with food. <laughs> On this side, you've got the stuff that came from the Creator's hand. It's genuine. It's the real product. It it'll, can only do you good. But over here, we've got something which is what they call in America and other parts of the world, they call this stuff what? This is junk food. It's junk food. But does it taste good? <laughs> I can only be talking to an audience in Southern California or anywhere, I guess, in the Western world. This is junk food. <laughs> now, this stuff, this stuff, has got a million calories, 5,000 grams of saturated fat, and it tastes good. 
and it's popular and people like it, it's junk food. Did you know there's such a thing as junk religion? And junk religion is as dead as the mannequin. Today we're going to talk on the topic. It's not always, my friend, what it seems to be. We're going to talk today about the true versus the false, the living versus the dead, the genuine versus the counterfeit, the real versus the substitute. And we're going to talk also about the biggest mistake that religious people like you and me, the biggest mistake that we make. I want you to open your Bibles today and come over here to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14. And I was studying this yesterday and last night and it made a powerful impression upon my life. In fact, as I was reading these chapters, I was touched as I have never been touched before. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14, dear friends. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Are you ready to go? Amen. Are you glad that you're in church today? Amen. I'm glad to see you in church today. And the people sitting over on this side, you'll have to concentrate very, very hard on the text today and try to put this out of your mind. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, our Lord said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but... Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Say it with me. Only a few find it. I want you to say it again. How many find salvation in the world? The Bible says only a few find it. I wonder why. Could it be that in religion, things are not always what they seem to be. I have a statement here that I'm going to read to you today, and it's an amazing and a wonderful statement. It is written by an amazing and a, a wonderful person. It is this magnificent book called The Desire of Ages, written by an amazing little American lady who lived about 100 years ago. And she has touched the lives of millions of people with her perceptive analysis of the, of the days in which we live and also the truths about the gospel. I want to recommend this book to every person who is watching on the telecast today, the book Desire of Ages. It's the greatest book outside the Bible that I know concerning the greatest life, and that is the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. She wrote these words. The rabbis counted their righteousness a passport to heaven. But Jesus declared it to be insufficient and unworthy. External ceremonies and a theoretical knowledge of truth constituted pharisaical righteousness. Let me say that again. 
It's quite a statement for a girl who never received much education. External ceremonies and a theoretical knowledge of truth constituted pharisaical righteousness. The rabbis claimed to be holy through their own efforts in keeping the law. But their works had divorced righteousness from religion. While they were punctilious in ritual observances, their lives were immoral and debased. Their so-called righteousness could never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I would remind you that these people in the days of Jesus were the super religious people. Super religious. But remember, things are not always as they appear to be. The writer goes on to say, the greatest deception of the human mind in Christ's day was that a mere assent to the truth constitutes righteousness. In all human experience, the theoretical knowledge of the truth has been proved to be insufficient for the saving of the soul. It does not bring forth the fruits of righteousness. The Bible talks about fruits of righteousness, living fruits, and it also talks about counterfeit fruits. It does not bring forth the fruits of righteousness. A zealous regard for what is termed theological truth often accompanies a hatred of genuine truth as made manifested as man made manifest in life. The darkest chapters of history are burdened with the record of crimes committed by bigoted religionists. The Pharisees claimed to be children of Abraham and boasted of their possession of the oracles of God. Yet these advantages not, did not preserve them from selfishness, malignity, greed for gain, and the basest hypocrisy. They thought themselves the greatest religionists in the world. But their so-called orthodoxy led them to crucify the Lord of glory. The same danger still exists. The greatest deception of the human mind was that a mere assent to the truth constitutes righteousness. And so, it seems to be quite apparent that things are not always, my beloved friends, what they appear to be. This looks good. And she looks great. But things are not always what they appear to be. Before we go any further today, I want you to get this text so firm in your mind that you'll never forget it. 
It's found over here in the book of Ephesians. I'd like you to turn now to Ephesians chapter 2, please, and verse 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. Today we want to try to discover the true religion that saves the soul. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. And remember, it may not be what it appears to be. Verse 8. I want you please to read these verses with me out loud. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Never forget this truth. You and I can never save ourselves by our own good works. The Bible says that we are saved purely and simply by the grace of God. The Bible says by grace, through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. If a person tries to save himself by his works, he'll be as dead as the mannequin. But the Bible says, and this is what we forget, that we are created to do good works. Good works, acts of righteousness, the change of the character is the fruitage of a right relationship with God. Now Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to hell. Most people find it. Most people, the Bible says, are on their way to perdition. That's what Jesus said. This is a fearful thought. The reason that most people are on their way to perdition, dear friends, is because things are not always what they appear to be. And Jesus said, there is a narrow way and there's a narrow gate. And Jesus said the soul-shaking words that only a few people find it. Because not everything is alive when it appears to be alive. Not everything is what it looks like. When we quoted these words before in Matthew chapter 7, we were quoting these words from the greatest sermon ever produced in the history of the world. I would venture to say that this is a sermon that we need to hear every day preached because it describes the genuine product. It describes the people who are going to inherit the kingdom of God. And it is a very amazing thing that when Jesus talks about the, the people who are going to inherit the kingdom of God, he doesn't use, my friend, any theological terms like righteousness through faith. He doesn't say a word 
about righteousness by faith. He doesn't talk about the great Pauline epistle of Romans. Of course, that was still in the future, but he doesn't even talk about those concepts. But Jesus describes the people who enter in through the narrow gate. The people who discover and who practice and who are saved by the real thing. Please turn to Matthew chapter 5. And today I want you for a little while to look at the character of those people who are going to make up the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to move around in these chapters. We may take them in sequence. We may take them topically. We will see how we go. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. Jesus said. Now here Jesus is talking on a mountain. The law of Almighty God, the Decalogue was given when God came down on a mountain. But in Matthew chapter 5, the Bible says Jesus goes up to the mountain and he sits down and he speaks the law of the kingdom. Notice what he says in Matthew 5 verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus mean by this? Can you try to visualize this, my friend, just for a moment? Jesus is talking to a great group of Jewish people, and the Jewish people had tremendous regard for their religious leaders, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the most religious people on the face of the earth. They had hundreds of laws about keeping the seventh day Sabbath. And Jesus said the Pharisees fasted twice a week, which is more than you and I do. They fasted twice a week. They paid tithe on everything, which is more than most of us do. They paid their tithe and they paid a second tithe and they paid tithe on gifts and tithe even on fruit, vegetables. Always at church as they should have been. Always reading the Bible as they should have been. But Jesus said, unless you're more righteous than they are, more righteous than the Pharisees. It's like at the Olympic Games in Sydney when Kathy Freeman ran for Australia and she won, what was it, the 400 meters or something? It's like saying to an Australian audience, unless you can run faster than Kathy Freeman or swim faster than Ian Thorpe, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. You're not going to make it. These words are not a lessening of the demands of the law, but a magnification of the law as we have never thought. Now, sometimes you meet people who have a very superficial view of the Bible and they say the Old Testament is just law, law, law. That's why we go out the door. Don't like the law. They say when we get to the New Testament, then it's all love and mercy. 
Jesus, in his inaugural address, says, unless you can do better than the Pharisees, you're not going to make it to the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, I might as well tell you now, most of you are not. Most of you are not, because broad is the way, and most of you are going to go through there. But narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. May God find us the few today. May God find here the few who are going to inherit the kingdom. Now, I want you please to do something with me today. I want you to notice some of the most important teachings that are found in the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus is describing the people who are going to make up the kingdom. And remember, we're here because we're discussing the subject, things are not always as they appear to be. Please look at Matthew chapter 5 and read on with me, dear friend. And notice some of the teachings of our Lord. It's impossible for us to get through all of these verses, but we will go through a number. Now verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. Now here he is giving the new law of the kingdom. Firstly, on Mount Sinai he came down and gave the Decalogue. Now he goes up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. and He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The people who are going to go through the narrow gate and make up God's chosen few are going to be people who are poor in spirit. People who understand and who recognize their spiritual poverty. Whose, law, whose whole life is a long life of repentance and saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Lord, because I am a sinner. This is a call to a recognition that the best of us are sinners. That's why Paul could say, I am the chief of sinners. I've said this to you before, I will say it again. If you find it impossible to say to your wife or to your brother in the church or your sister in the church, I'm sorry and I apologize, I am sorry, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. But people say, religion today tells us that everybody is going to be saved. But you see, there is a religion in the world that looks good and it tastes good and it's very popular, but it is not a living religion. It is a masquerading religion. Millions of people who think they're going to be saved are going to find that they're lost because 
they got the wrong product. Let me illustrate it. Now, when I showed you this stuff before, there was an audible gasping in the audience. Almost a slobbering sound. <laughs> this, and I know that a little bit of this on occasions won't hurt you. But let me tell you folks something. This stuff here that has got partially hydrogenated vegetable oils is the leading cause of cancer and heart disease and obesity, diabetes, all of those diseases in the Western world. When I was a little boy, we were taught, eat white bread and you'll soon be dead. It's true. And this is tremendously popular. Why is it popular? Because most people are, have a glandular problem. The salivary gland. <laughs> listen, listen carefully. Because most people go by their feelings. Not by truth, they go by their feelings, they say, but I like it. And that is why every day in the United States, I think it's thousands and thousands and thousands are dying with cancer and heart disease. And people say, I like it, I like it, I like it, I want it. It's the same thing as this religion of deadness. It looks good. It puts on a good show. It looks beautiful. It has nice hair and a nice purse. But it's dead. It is the great deception. That is why they've discovered in the United States of America, people who go to church have the same divorce rate as people who don't go to church. People who go to church on the whole, on, on the whole have the same crime rate as people who don't go to church. People who go to church have the same number of abortions as people who are out there in the world. Because... It is not the genuine product. Please look at these verses and you will see the genuine product and may there be a cry that goes up from our heart, Oh God, save me from the religion of man, a dead religion, and make me a child of God. Please read on, Matthew 5. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted mourning for our sins. This talks about preachers too. Blessed are the meek, the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Not people who hunger and thirst for a better deal on Wall Street. It's not talking about those things. It's talking about getting one's priorities straight and hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God. Read on. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. My friend, 
There'll never be peace between the Jews and the Arabs. There's hatred, hatred, no mercy, no mercy, no mercy, no mercy. Killing, killing, killing. Why? Because their religion is not a religion of grace. It is not a religion that comes from God. It may look a beautiful religion, but unless the religion makes the people who follow that religion merciful and forgiving, it is not the real thing. You see, read on. I ask you today, are you poor in spirit? Are you mourning? Are you meek? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are you merciful? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Are you pure? Am I pure? Are we peacemakers? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Most of us will say in America, we have never, 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 never been persecuted. The reason must be because we don't have the character that is described here. The church is not persecuted today in the Western world because there is nothing really to persecute. Persecution breaks out when the people of God show by their characters that they have God's righteousness. And this I want to tell my theologians, my friends, is not talking about justification. It's not. I thought when we came to your meetings, you told us we're saved by grace. We just raise a hand and we're saved. These verses are not talking about justification. These verses are talking about the fruits of righteousness but if our lives are bringing forth dead food it is because we do not have the religion of the living Christ we have a religion of the mannequin looks good but wouldn't keep you warm on a cold night if you were married to her Read on. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Ah, oh, that doesn't seem to teach once saved, always saved, does it? It talks about salt that loses its savor, its saltiness. A person can be a child of God, but he can lose his saltiness, which means he loses his soul. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. And trampled by men, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. The true faith produces people who shine for God. People say, but God has never called me to share my faith. Of course he hasn't because you don't have any. When people talk like this. Only a light can shine. Here it is describing people who have a type of character. Somebody will say, but you don't believe in perfectionism. No, I don't believe in 
the Catholic interpretation or the interpretation of other people that teaches that people have to become sinless before they can be saved. But these verses tell me here that God is going to take a, a type of person to heaven and that person is going to be a person who has learned to be Godlike. Godlike. Merciful, gracious, pure. You say, I've had enough. This is not what I came to judge to hear. I didn't come to judge to be told I must repent. Well, my friend, could it be that you've been feeding on this garbage for too long? Could it be that your taste buds, your spiritual taste buds are so depraved and so perverted that you do not want the real thing. This is the real thing. It comes from the hand of God. Read on in this chapter where it describes the people of God. Verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Somebody has said that that means that you can break those commands, and, but you will still be in the kingdom of heaven, but you will, you'll only be there as the least. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that in the kingdom of God, when appraisal is made of the characters of people in the kingdom of God, they will be called least. In the kingdom of God, those who live there will say, those who break the commandments, they were the least. But the least do not even get in the kingdom of God. When Jesus came down on Mount Sinai, he gave the Decalogue. Now he says, I've come to tell you what you've got to be like to get into the kingdom. You must keep the commandments of God. I was reading my favorite commentary last night, the great commentator, Matthew Henry. Greatest commentator probably in the history of the Christian church since the apostles. And he says, and this is a man who helped the preaching of righteousness by faith. He said, we should so teach and preach the law of God that people are continually called to a higher standard. That the law of God should be magnified, that we should preach the Sabbath, and people should be in, people should not be encouraged to go to church. People ought to be commanded to go to church in the name of the Lord. Commanded in the name of the Lord. Yes, in the name of the Lord, he said. And on time, and to come ready to worship and praise God. This is the word of God. The problem is that this is the religion of man. It's sweet. It's tacky. It's popular. It's addictive. It's the religion that says, come on, laugh a little. 
be entertained a little and you're going to go to heaven. Just believe in Jesus. I don't believe it. Unless the religion of Jesus changes our lives, it's because we got the wrong stuff. The fruit has to be brought forth and it's got to be the fruits of obedience and humility. When I read these chapters last night, I thought to myself, God, help me to be this sort of person. We've all heard of the doctrine of cheap grace. Grace says Jesus died for you. Is that true? Yes. Is it true? Jesus died for everybody. Whoever will may come. Do you believe that? Yeah. Then cheap grace says, well, now that you're saved, you can do what you like. You can do what you like. Go to church? Well, you don't. Do that when you feel like it. You know, we love you. God loves you. So you just do what you like. Pay your tithe. Oh, yes, if you feel like it. If you've got enough money over this week, and if you're, you know, feeling in a generous mood, you can do those things. Uh, keep the commandments of God. Oh, yes, sort of. But, you know, you don't want to get too fanatical. That's the religion of the mannequin. It looks good, but it's a dead religion. Verse 21. Notice how Jesus talks about what people are going to be like. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother, Rakhar, or vain person, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You say, but if we're going to believe all this stuff, we're not going to get saved. Well, remember what Jesus said. Wide is the gate that goes to hell, many that find it. Jesus says, by God's grace, I'm going to so live in you. It's not a case of murder. You won't even be angry. If someone says, this is impossible. This is impossible. This is this is not what I want to hear. This is not what I want to eat. This is what I want to eat. Give me some marshmallow religion. Give me this. And call it John 3.16. The religion that Jesus propounds in the Sermon on the Mount, listen to this, is not the religion of man, it's the religion of God. It's supernatural. That's why I beg you, read your Bibles every day. So the power of God. We're not talking today about a beautiful, formalistic, wonderful religion. We are talking about a religion that changes people inside. So they become kind and obedient and pure and clean 
and reliable and punctual, dependable children of God. Remember, it's not always what it seems to be. Read on, please. Verse 27. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus said, it's not just the act, it's what you think. Did Jesus do away with the seventh commandment? No. He intensified it and brought it into the heart. Verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus is talking here about a change in the life that enables a person to endure all sorts of difficulties. This is not, this is not junk food. This is not fast food. This is the truth. Read on. Verse 38, you've heard that was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, and I'm going to get you. You know? But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. The Romans had the right to tell a Jew, carry my bag for a mile. After the Jew had carried it for a mile because he didn't know grace, he would take the bag and throw it into a pile of mud. Jesus said, go one mile, then go a second mile. This is the religion of God. Read on. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. So Jesus here tells us not just to love our friends, not just to love people who are nice to us, but Jesus says, I want you to love the meanest, nastiest person that you know. And if you can't do that, it's because you're dead. You see, we're talking today about a supernatural religion that is beyond anything the human mind can conceive in itself. I want to quote to you from this great book, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. In 1987, an IRA bomb went off in the small town of Belfast, west of Belfast amid a group of Protestants who had gathered to honor the war dead on Veterans Day. Eleven people died and 63 others were wounded. What made this act of terrorism stand out from so many others was the response of one of the wounded, Gordon Wilson, a devout Methodist who had immigrated north from the Irish Republic to work as a draper. 
The bomb buried Wilson and his 20-year-old daughter under five feet of concrete and brick. Daddy, I love you very much, were the last words Marie spoke, grasping her father's hand as they waited for the rescuers. She suffered severe spinal and brain injuries and died a few hours later in the hospital. A newspaper later proclaimed, no one remembers what the politicians had to say at the time. No one who heard Gordon Wilson will ever forget what he confessed. His grace toward towered over the miserable justification of the bombers. Speaking from his hospital bed, Wilson said, I've lost my daughter, but I bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring Marie Wilson back to life. I shall pray tonight and every night that God will forgive them. He met with the IRA. He asked them to lay down their arms. I know that you've lost loved ones, just like me, he told them. Surely enough is enough. Enough blood has been spilled. When he died, they say the world wept. He was a man who was a child of God. He wasn't a mannequin. And the fruits were genuine. Not a lot of junk. Somebody said that if we don't learn to forgive, we destroy the bridge over which we must travel ourselves to the kingdom. When you read these chapters, you go on further, where Jesus talks about when you give alms. Don't do it in public, he said. Do it in private. He said, when you pray, don't stand up and let everybody see you being such a great guy. He said, go quietly into your room. And then Jesus finished it by saying, there was a man who built his house upon the sand. You know the story. The rain came, the winds came, down went the house. And he said there was a man who built his house upon the rock and the winds came and the flood came. He said it stood, it was founded upon the rock. And Matthew finishes up that part of the Bible by saying everybody was amazed at his teachings. For he taught one, taught us one who had authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. If Jesus were here today, he'd say, Go thou and do thou likewise. Remember, religion is not just what it always appears to be. There are two religions in the world. One is the religion that comes from God. It can only do you good, like this great bread with soya beans in it and flaxseed and wheat and these beautiful peaches and grapefruit and apples and tofu and nuts and beans and all of this stuff. It's like the religion of God. It can only do you good. Then there's the religion of man. Most people love it. They're addicted to it. They don't know any better. They're addicted to it. But if they only knew and read the labels where it talks about partially hydrogenated vegetable oils and they knew 
that this stuff, when they feed it to their kids, is setting themselves, setting themselves and their kids up for cancer. Now, we're not here to talk about food. We're here to talk about the true gospel. The true gospel produces a righteous character. The true gospel is not outward show and beauty that is dead, but it produces living, loving, unselfish, obedient sons and daughters of God. Therefore, remember, in religion, things are not always what they seem to be. Therefore, strive to enter, my friend, through the narrow gate. For broad is the gate and broad the way that leads to destruction and hell and perdition. Many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow the way that leads to everlasting life. And few there be that find it. Determine by God's grace to be the few. Amen. Please kneel down. Just look at me for a moment. In the Bible, the Bible and prophecy pictures the world. It is a world that goes by its feelings, that doesn't think, that doesn't read, that doesn't study, that blindly follows blindly follows the blind. But God is going to have a people in the last days who are not put-ons. You know where it matters, don't you? Where does it matter? Inside. It's what a person is inside. And when you read the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about humility being a peacemaker, being loving, keeping his commandments, being pure in heart. That's the real thing. May God help us to be the chosen few, not the chosen frozen, but the chosen few who enter in through the narrow gate. Let us pray together. Teach us, our Father, today to follow Jesus when he proclaimed the law, the law of the new covenant, the law that spoke about the character of his disciples. Help us to realize that there's a counterfeit for everything. And help us to be loving people, humble people, People who say they're sorry a lot and do a lot of apologizing because we all need to. People who mourn for our sins continually because we have so many. People who love God's commandments and who keep all of God's commandments without doing away with the, the crossing of the eyes or the, I mean the dotting of the eyes, the crossing of the T's. Help us, dear Father, to obey in everything that God has told us about and help us to realize, too, that God's way leads to life.
And help us, dear Father, today not to go the broad way and just go the way of fashion and the easy way, but to enter through the straight gate and to be called the children of God, to even love our neighbors and to be willing to forgive those who've hurt us. And thus, we will no longer be the children of the evil one, but the children of our Father in heaven. So bless us here today, dear Father, and may this word richly dwell in our hearts and change our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen.